haven't seen you in here before. Haven't been in here before. My friend brought me. He and I were stationed out at Schofield. Oh, I, I didn't think you were a soldier. What do you mean? Well, I... I'm a 30-year man. I'm in for the whole ride. Well, I suppose it's different when a fella's gonna make a career of it. Ain't nothing the matter with a soldier that ain't the matter with everyone else. I like you just the same. I liked you the minute I saw Annette bringing you in. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched the winner, which is weird, of the 1953 awards, From Here to Eternity, which... You know that the really famous kiss in this movie led me to believe that this was going to be a much more interesting movie than it was. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say that's the only interesting scene in the movie, but also that scene kind of sucks. Like the end of that scene is bad. But I casually mentioned to my parents while I was walking Oscar just before this that this was our movie this week and I'm mystified why everybody loves it. And my mom went, I think it was basically just softcore porn. And that's <laughs> the best explanation I can think of for the reception of this movie. Because otherwise, it's um, yet another not very good movie about the army. And yet another not very good Montgomery Clift performance. And yet another terrible miscasting of Frank Sinatra. I think that there are some... Uh, maybe interesting is not fully the right word here. There are some good performances in here. And when I say that, I don't mean like overall. I mean, like within specific scenes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. the only person I think is doing good work overall is Deborah Kerr. And that is just because God help her. Like that, that role, dear God, (laughs) like she is being given worse than nothing. And doing something with it. Yeah. Uh, I think that Donna Reed is doing some really interesting work, which sometimes fails horribly. But it was always interesting for me to watch because it was like, okay, is Donna Reed going to do justice to this character in this moment? Or is she going to play something that is totally nonsensical? And yeah, it was a coin flip every time. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I am willing to spot Donna Reed that she was terribly miscast. Like, you should not... You should not cast Donna Reed as a world-weary hooker. Like, that is that is a bad idea. Just not her thing. Yeah, I actually had that thought while I was watching it. This is the woman that they cast to play the quintessential, like, Norman fucking Rockwell housewife ten minutes after this movie was made. <laughs> Yeah, and like I probably should have used a more correct term for a sex worker in that phrase, but like that is how everyone who made this movie referred to that character, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is definitely hooker with a heart of gold trope territory. Exactly. I think something also that really just absolutely destroys this movie is the fact that she is not allowed to be an actual sex worker, so she's kind of like a hostess in a hostess bar except those don't exist really yet and have never really existed in america (laughs) yeah so that's strange because you're like why does she so down on herself when it seems like all she does for money is like 
flirt with men. Except that you know that it's more than that, but they can't make that clear. Yeah. Also, apparently the reason in the book that Karen Donnaker's character has to have a hysterectomy is because her husband gives her gonorrhea, which obviously they couldn't talk about that in the film. Yeah. One thing that I found really interesting, though, is that this movie allows for adultery to happen without both participants being punished. Yeah. I also, we should probably go through the the plot, yeah. Arguably three, but really two plot lines of this movie, because one is pretty good and the other has Montgomery Clift starring in it. God, what is the deal with him, man? He is such a bad actor. Why were people into him? I really think that it is a kind of Betty Davis scenario, but because of the car accident, he never actually gets cast correctly. He never gets his moment. His all about Eve. <laughs> exactly. They keep kind of casting him as these put upon men of principle. And like, nah, he's a dumb fuck boy. <laughs> yeah, actually, he was pretty good in the heiress for that reason. It was totally believable as just not very bright, yep. slacker asshole who feels entitled to shit. Yeah. That's his function. This is yet another movie where he does a big murder and you're supposed to feel sorry for him. And I do more in this one, but that is down to the plot and not his performance. Yeah. So his plot is he transfers to a regimen in Hawaii, seemingly just because he got angry that he was a better trumpeter than a guy that got a promotion over him. Bugler. 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 Please do not blow his talent out of proportion. <laughs> yeah. He's a better bugler than his old commanding officer thought he was, but he's also a boxer. And that's basically the only thing that matters about him from that point forward for the entire rest of the movie. Because much like the John Wayne character in The Quiet Man, he boxed so good he fucked a guy up too bad, and now he doesn't want to box. However, the commanding officer of this unit really wants to win a boxing competition, and so he has everyone in the unit just heap abuse on this guy until he will box, and he never will because he's a man of principle, and so they just keep doing shitty things to him. Exactly. Meanwhile, the, like, mid-level bureaucrat commanding officer of the unit is having an affair with the totally corrupt commanding officer's wife. The totally corrupt commanding officer is maybe the worst person to ever live. Just like everything you learn about the dude, you're like, wow, that's shitty. That's actually even more shitty than I thought. And is Philip Ober cast in possibly the most miscast role in this entire thing? Because he is charming and personable and likable. And I do not believe... Uh, for a second, any of the dickish things that he says or does, and that is not to his credit. No. He, like, he's doing a bad job acting. <laughs> when he is eventually forced to resign from the army, you feel sorry for him. And you, you shouldn't. Should not. He's a monster. <laughs> yeah. He left his wife writhing in the floor in pain for hours while he was on a date with another woman w until she miscarried. And then when his wife is still upset about it a couple years later, he's like, God, are you bringing that up again? Right. Like, it was one time he forgot to thaw 
all the chicken. Yeah. She not only miscarried, like, cannot have children anymore. Yeah. She had to have a hysterectomy, which, again, is not clear why in the movie, which is fine. Like, I don't really need to be, like, dragged into someone's medical trauma. Yeah. And in the 50s, the idea that they would not know how to save female reproductive organs or feel like that was really a critical thing seems pretty on par. Yeah. At times, that's true today, so... Yeah, and that romance is better in that the actors in it are better, but is very poorly written in that the motivations for either person involved seems to shift wildly from scene to scene. And both of the actors have to really do their best to steer the ship straight while everything is going haywire in that plot. And I think Deborah Kerr is really doing her absolute best with it and making the moments that work work. But it is certainly not a grand romance that I would put in the annals of film history, which we apparently have. Well, and now I understand why that kiss is the only part that you ever see from this movie, because if you picked any of the dialogue, there's no moment like Jimmy Stewart proclaiming that Catherine Hepburn is like, on fire with passion in Philadelphia story. Their conversations are like, I, I don't even know how they ended up liking each other other than that I guess she looks cute in shorts and she was lonely and he's hot. Yeah, their romance basically tracks from he's horny, he goes to see her, she goes, I would never like bang a guy just on an army base because he's horny and hot. Then goes, you know what? Fine, I will do it. <laughs> then goes, I can't believe you think I'm j just willing to have an affair. Then he goes, you think I'm willing to just do this for anybody? Th you're the most important person in my life. I'm not just jealous. This is really important. Then he goes, I'm insanely jealous. I can't believe you've ever been with anyone besides your husband. I'm going to destroy you. Then she goes, let me tell you my entire medical history history. Then he goes, I love you again. Then she goes, I know we have to change our whole life about it. Then he goes, you know what? I don't want to seek a promotion because I love the army too much. And she goes, I know. And that's the end. Well, you did actually just tell their entire plot line. So, okay. I check. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, that is a wild amount of swings for this thing to go through. And none of them are really supported. All of them come up that suddenly. They almost never have like a nice date or anything. It's like they go swimming and then they get into a fight. The sum total nice date they go on is them rolling around on the beach and kissing. Like that is the sum total romance part of that romance. And it is that many seconds. Like, whatever clip you have ever seen, it's that long. <laughs> yeah. There's not more to that kiss that you're missing. <laughs> anyway, that romance fucking blows the other romance out of the goddamn water. <laughs> yes, Because the other one is Montgomery Clift falling in love with Donna Reed as a hooker with a heart of gold. Then him... Killing a guy for killing Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra's his friend who's the only guy in the unit who feels bad for him while everybody else is an asshole to him. And Frank Sinatra just plays everything as drunk. And, like, he can do that, 
But like, if you've got a guy whose whole thing is he's kind of a hard-headed asshole who's a good musician, and you have Frank Sinatra in your movie, it's really bizarre to have him play second fiddle to a guy who... Is a great bugler. Yeah. And we have a moment where he gets to really show off his... A few moments, but one in particular where we get to see how great of a bugler he is, where obviously the sound comes from an excellent trumpet player (laughs) playing some very hot jazz yeah it's wild how much it's just like they don't even they don't even try (laughs) yeah anyway frank sinatra gets on the bad side of the guy who runs the brig or is it called the brig uh i think that's on a ship but yeah whatever yeah the army jail hates Frank Sinatra, then Frank Sinatra gets too drunk and is sent to the army jail for a couple of days, and the guy effectively just beats him to death and doesn't really get immediately punished for it. The weird thing about this movie is everyone is very confident the army's going to do a great job and catch this guy, even though, uh, no, they won't. The army seems like a fucking terrible place in this movie where out-and-out corrupt people just physically beat you for months on end. And then somebody goes, I don't know, the inspector general will handle it anyway. This is not something we need to worry about ethically. And especially with What's his face? Deborah Kerr's husband, who's such an asshole and a monster that he's like, I don't know, was he boxing for us? Then I don't care. You can do whatever you want to him. Yeah. Anyway, Montgomery Cliff decides to take the law into his own hands and get into a knife fight with the guy, ends up stabbing him and killing him, and therefore is then trapped in this plot line of like, oh no, how have things gone so tragically wrong? And it's like, well, because you took a knife out and stabbed a guy. That's how things went tragically wrong for you. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Then the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. It's that boring and that late in the movie. And he goes like an idiot to run back to an active army base without calling ahead or telling anyone because he's just got to help. While he's been AWOL for like a week. Yeah. So the army obviously shoots him because they're freaked out in the most sensible thing that the U.S. Army does in this entire film. (laughs) That's fair. I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Then the other semi-commanding officer guy goes like, he was a real soldier, a, a man's man, but he just couldn't follow orders and play the game. And you're like, oh, that was his plot? Okay. Then Donna Reed tells a tragic, not true story about like, we were engaged and he was an airman and he got every medal you could get and everyone loved him forever. It was so sad that he died. And Deborah Kerr is there going, that's weird. I know that guy's name. And he apparently sucked. Anyway, <laughs> end of film. It is a wild one. Yes, it is. But not an interesting one. Yeah, and somehow not interesting. That's actually the thing that's really frustrating is that all of this is like just incredibly wild jumps in plausibility while still being kind of boring which yeah i i yeah i i guess it's not i don't think it was offensive other than that yeah it was arguably not offensive because you don't really deal with the native Hawaiian people at all in this film set in Hawaii. And like, that's a blessing. Like, thank God. Yeah. Cause how many times have we watched a movie that was like, you know, the Navy is set that has a base in Hawaii. And now we have some kind of incredibly cringe inducing luau scene with grass skirts on, you know, 
white women. Yeah. I mean, I really don't have anything better than that, like, the closest thing since Cleopatra we've been able to get to nudity is them rolling around on the beach for three seconds. Right. In early 1950s swimwear, which is not really that naked. That is... Honest to God, the best explanation I have for you for why this one best picture. I really think my mom is right. Uh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> Again, I think Deborah Kerr is doing a couple of remarkable scenes, but they're remarkable in the sense of, God, it's really terrible we made Deborah Kerr go through that. She did okay, though. <laughs> Nobody is doing like the performance of their career in this movie. This is not my favorite part for anyone in the cast, even of what we've seen of them. Even for people that we don't particularly like, like Montgomery Cliff. <laughs> yeah, I, honest to God, liked him better in Sun Also Right. What is that fucking thing called? Uh... Everybody Gets a Sun. <laughs> Liz Taylor's here. A place in the sun. There we go. You get a sun, and you, you get, get a, a sun, sun, and you get a sun. I like him better in that, and I didn't like him in that. At least in that, he was not supposed to be fully likable. Yeah. And in this, I'm supposed to believe that he was, you know, again, like, oh, he was really just the man's man who couldn't be suppressed by army discipline. Uh, was that was that what that was about? Yeah. I think, like, if I was to really try and zero in on why I think Montgomery Clift is just terribly cast every time it's that like george clooney has to play a guy that knows he looks like george clooney montgomery clift needs to play a guy that knows he looks like montgomery clift and the heiress is the only movie where he's been allowed to do that like every other time he's been just like this aw shucksy i'm just a guy just getting through the day and it's like you have a jaw like a cartoon pilot. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, I, like this is... You, you have to know that you look like that. Here's what I think actually is a problem, is he's not a good actor. Yeah. And he was gay. And they constantly are casting him as this guy who is losing his fucking mind over a girl. Yeah. And if I don't believe you're losing your mind over Elizabeth Taylor... Which is, like, not a stretch. You're not a good actor. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, in this, Donna Reed's character is not really all that amazing. She's broke. And, yeah, she's Donna Reed, so she's beautiful. But The best reading of that relationship is that it is born out of desperation. And, like, I will give them both the, like, kind of hand that I don't think this movie deserves of they're both playing it that way. Donna Reed certainly is playing it as just kind of like, I just need something. I just need stability in my life. And if you're going to be that thing, then great. And I think he is playing it that way, too. But I just keep trying to give this guy something. But I kind of, yeah, he just ain't that good. Listen, there are plenty of gay dudes who play straight for the entire history of acting and do it beautifully. I'm not saying that, like, you can't play straight if you're gay. It happens all the time. Yeah. Brilliantly. But... Uh, Montgomery Clift is not numbered among them. <laughs> and I think that's why it works in the heiress is that you can see through it that his courting her is so unbelievable to you as an audience member, which is pretty critical for the experience of that film is that, oh, you can't believe that she's buying this bullshit. I shouldn't feel that way when he's supposed to genuinely be in love with the, yeah. his co-star. <laughs> I do want to stress the 
historical record is a little unclear whether he was gay or bisexual. But yes, he so clearly is displaying so much more passion for the slivers of male friendship he is getting in this movie than he is in all of his scenes with Donna Reed, where he seems to just stare at her a lot and then yell at anybody else who talks to her. And it's such a blank stare. Yeah. That's the thing that I have consistently seen in his performances, which is so fucking weird. He's almost slack-jawed and, like, staring blankly whenever he's in these positions where he's supposed to be opposite the person that he's crazy in love with. And I suppose that's a way of demonstrating that they've, like, thrown you for a loop. But it's not very convincing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, in real life, that is what happens, you know? Maybe that's just how he experienced being over the moon about somebody, I guess. But, like, it's acting. I need to see something. (laughs) You gotta do Stella Stella. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how good of an internal handle you have on the character unless you can find a way to work that internality into some kind of an externality. You're just fucking sitting there. Yeah. And he just sits there very well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I don't know how many different tangents we should or could go on. Like, we watched The New Matrix over Christmas break. and Oh, how is it? I'm actually really eager to see it. I think it is an interesting failure, and I mean that as a compliment. I think the second and third Matrix movies are kind of interesting failures, too, but I don't actually find them deeply interesting. I just kind of think, oh, they tried a lot of stuff and it didn't really work. Um, The new one, I think, is taking really big swings, and I really like a lot of the really big swings, and I think they're really interesting, and they recontextualize what that story is in really interesting ways, but also the action isn't all that great, and some of the stuff doesn't work that great. And you do have to kind of go like, this is a movie about the Matrix movies more than it is a like fantastic new Matrix film. That's kind of what I thought it was going to be. Given all of the press, it's like, let's talk to Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves about how they feel about the Matrix 20 years on. Yeah. <laughs> or 25 or whatever it is. And I actually think that the best parts of the new one are when it is kind of in conversation with the old ones and in... I, I, would kind of have to spoil the whole movie to explain why, but like in conversation in a weird way with what Lana at least thinks they did wrong with the sequels, which is not as much as public response might believe and not the exact same things. And it's not like a mea culpa of we're so sorry the sequels were not what you wanted them to be, but it is a like, hey, 20 years on thinking about these characters, there's some stuff I want to say about what we did and and how things went that I, I would maybe do a different way or talk about differently that I think is really interesting. But this is all really an aside to say that we watched that movie and rewatched The Matrix. And both of those movies use Keanu Reeves's blankness very well and in wildly different ways. Mm. I think Keanu Reeves is a perfectly good actor, but I think he needs somebody who knows how to use him. Because if you just cast him in anything, he's not going to work. He's going to be too Keanu Reeves for some projects. Right. And I think that the first Matrix uses his blankness to make him kind of this everyman hero. Nothing is established for why Neo is the one. He's just the one. Morpheus has figured it out. 
and he's just some guy. And that's kind of the point. Um, and the new one really has him play up the blankness as this is a guy trapped in the Matrix. This is a guy who is like fucking on the fucking blue pills every day. Um, <laughs> and Keanu is really making that work. And the direction is really making that work. And both of those performances are in a way kind of Montgomery Clifty performances of just kind of staring at things. But one, I want to give Keanu Reeves more credit than that. And two, I do want to say like, hey, good direction matters here. Yeah. Knowing what to do with that really matters. And clearly nobody knows what to do with it, it with Montgomery Clift. He's just staring off into space and everybody goes, yes, that's acting. Great. You're doing it. Roll. <laughs> there is no contextualization of it. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, I guess we should rate this movie. Three. I don't even know why I'm going that high. Three. Yeah. I don't. It's weird because I'm like, I almost don't. It was so blank that I almost don't hate it enough to go low, but I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go high. Yeah. But, like, it's not a five. So I don't know why I'm like, oh, well, we got to get closer to five. And it's like, I don't know, like, it's the three of I don't care, but at least it wasn't offensive. Yeah. It's the fucking, like, what's the phrase from Westworld where they just go, like, I don't see anything at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my reaction to watching this movie. My brain just slides right off it. Yeah. And I was trying because I was like, you know, this is a really famous film and it's got that kissing scene. So it must be very passionate at some point, And it just kind of isn't. Yeah. When you get there, you're like, oh, this is the kissing scene. And then you get to the part where he becomes insanely jealous and basically like calls her a whore. And she goes, hey, here's my entirely tragic backstory, which is going to be my best moment of performance in the movie, even though this scene kind of sucks. Right. Let me trot out my trauma for you so that. I can prove that I'm worthy of your love, despite the fact that I have ever been with another man other than the one you know about. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're actually talking me into it being offensive. <laughs> Come to think of it, this movie is kind of sexist. And, and why would you cast Frank Sinatra and then not have him sing? I, it's like, not have him sing. Two. Like, uh, Two. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, too. Don't watch this movie. No. Watch that one clip. Like, not even the scene. Just watch the clip of them rolling around. Yeah. It's the only reason people went to the theaters to watch this, and you can just watch it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Or in, like, any of dozens of film or television episodes that feature it. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, though, we are watching the movie that you've been excited to watch. Finally! Yeah, I, I've been holding on, and God, I really hope it doesn't backfire on me. But yeah, I'm excited to watch Roman Holiday. Me too. Among other things, it's like every service, like every streaming service is now like, oh, you're one of those old movie people. And every single one is like, you want to watch Roman Holiday, right? Like, come on, everybody wants to watch Roman Holiday. And I've been like, I can't yet. It's not... We're not doing that yet. We're not there. Yep. But I know like every service has it. So that's good. Love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, join us next week to see if the algorithm is steering me right for once. <laughs> Boy, that would be super unusual. Yeah. And until then, um, I don't really 
think this was a movie, David. I'm gonna. Uh, no, I, I, mm, I don't care. <laughs> like I just, I don't care if it was a movie or not. That's fair. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> I never knew it could be like this. Nobody ever kissed me the way you do. Nobody. No, nobody. Not even one. Out of all the men you've been kissed by. <laughs> Now that it takes, I'm figuring, how many men do you think there have been? I wouldn't know. Can't you give me a rough estimate? Not without an adding machine. Do you have your adding machine with you? I forgot to bring it. Uh, then I guess you won't find out, will you? <laughs>